How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's Locked On NBA, a Western Conference playoff deep dig with Jake Madison of Locked On Pelicans and Adam Mattis of Locked On Nuggets. A good look at where the Warriors are, what have the Houston Rockets proven, and what about the two series at three games to two? It's all coming up on Locked On NBA. I'm the host, David Locke. Radio voice of the Utah Jazz, founder of the Locked On Podcast Network. Have you found your local NBA podcast? And have you subscribed yet on iTunes or your Android, whatever it might be? This is really fun. The Eastern Conference one's out. Wes Goldberg and Jared Dubin joined us. There's great talent on the Locked On Podcast Network and using it to host some of the shows uh, more and more because these guys are super. Jake Madison, Locked On Pelicans, writes for Bourbon uh, Street and Adam Modis writes for Denver Stiffs and Vice Sports. They're super. You'll really like them today, and they have great insight, both their teams, out of the playoffs. Today's show, as always, is brought to you by our title sponsor, SeatGeek. Promo code LOCKED gets you a $20 rebate on the back end of your purchase. They'll send it to you on your first purchase. That's LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D. If you haven't downloaded the SeatGeek app yet, please do so. You'll be very, very impressed. And Dollar Shave Club joins us as a sponsor today. This is a funny one for me. Because I thought I had mastered the system. I found out about the Dollar Shave Club concept. I was like, that's really smart. Like, why are we paying so much darn money for our razors? It's insane, right? So I searched the internet to try to figure out. I totally blew it. I got like, and now that I have Dollar Shave Club and I have realized this is the smarter choice, this is their, I have their executive razor with the Dr. Carver's shave butter and it's it's really good, and it's a lot better than what I thought I'd figured out. So I should have just done it the whole time and done the Dollar Shave Club. It's a great shave at a great price, conveniently delivered right to your door. It's kind of a life hack. It's a no-brainer life hack, actually. You don't have to go to the store. You don't have to get those. Dude, they're locking the razors up, right, because they're so expensive. I remember being in college being like, I could put this in my pocket, like, but I'm not going to do it. But, boy, these are crazy expensive. So this is the way to do it. And for a limited time, new members get their first month of the executive razor with a tube of Dr. Carver's Shave Butter for only $5 with free shipping. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. In your first month box, you get an awesome weighted handle. It's nice. Full cassette of four cartridges and a tube of the Shave Butter. After that, replacement cartridges ship automatically at the regular price. No hidden fees, no commitments. Cancel any time. So join the club today. DollarShaveClub.com slash L-O-C-K-N-B-A. L-O-C-K-N-B-A. No E. L-O-C-K-N-B-A, Dollar Shave Club. Seriously, I've heard about it a ton. Hadn't tried it until we got connected with him. And I'm telling you, that executive razor with the Dr. Carver's Shave Butter, it's it's pretty awesome. Gently glides. Really, really well done. So they are a sponsor today. We appreciate them. Here are Adam and Jake, and we roll through the West and big questions about the clips to start. Well, as I said, joining us is Adam Mata's uh, the Denver Stiffs Vice Sports, host Locked on Nuggets. Great, great, great basketball talk. 
And then uh, Jake Madison does great work on Locked on Pelicans. He also writes uh, for Bourbon Street, uh, which is a Pelican blog. Uh, these are two of our brightest hosts on the Locked on Podcast Network, and they just don't happen to have playoff teams, which is unfair to them. <laughs> it's not, uh, they had two teams that I, I think – will be interesting to see next year of which of your two teams is projected to make the playoffs more often. Uh, yeah, I think it will be interesting. Both of the teams, I think, could go either way next year, which is, which is, I think, going to make their fan bases kind of nervous. Jake, it's do you have enough pivotal mu- off seasons for both teams? I think for sure. Who wants Chris Paul as your point guard next year? I'm I'm all for bringing him back to New Orleans. We can have a happy homecoming and reunion here. Maybe make a movie about it when he leads the Pelicans to a title. <laughs> I I would take Chris Paul <laughs> if, if 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 we're handing Chris Pauls out. I I would accept one. Well, it's interesting. I don't think that series is over. We'll dig into it. But if it is over, I almost wonder if Chris Paul goes back. Everyone's been talking about it from the other perspective, which is. Do the Clippers re-sign everyone? At what point does Chris Paul, frankly, after being in that arena last night, and it's dead, right? It's a Game 5 playoff, and there's no vibe. I walked out with somebody who was, um, I don't want to say, I'm trying to figure out how I can say it. Not affiliated with either team, but was directly involved in the game. Who said to me afterwards, like, wow, that place was dead tonight. And this is somebody who's been in the league for probably 25 years. Um, and so I thought that I just kind of thought to myself, and then the only two teams that are actually good in the Western Conference that don't have a point, well, the three that aren't, that are good that don't have a point guard next year are the Jazz, depending what they do with George Hill, and then the Nuggets and the Pelicans are the only two teams that don't have a point guard next year, depending what happens with Drew Holiday. So I'm so I, off the Drew Holiday train now. I'll take Chris Paul and we'll send Holiday to Denver. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, I, I'm not really on board with any of this, but, I, but I'm up, but, you know what? It'll make New Orleans more interesting for sure. I think here's here's what I think. Chris Paul is now 31 years old. He's the writing is on the wall that his career. It's I mean obviously it's not over, or close to over, but he does only has so many more opportunities to really make a push. And I think the Warriors are going to run away with this year's title. I I, I don't think it's going to be particularly close if everybody stays healthy. And I think Chris Paul might have to see like it's not going to take just a regular you know good team to compete with them for years to come. I think it's going to take a great team. And so I actually do. I agree with you. I think he is. There is a great chance he will leave the Clippers. I don't know why he would return. So I, I could see him trying to team up somewhere that can compete with that Warriors team. Do either. I, I, and who where? It, at, sorry, Jake, Adam, who, what, what, how do you do that? Like, I don't even. If, if, the, if the Warriors run away with things the way I think they will, I think there'll be a lot of players that kind of look at, and, and not just run away with the title this year, but re-up, because, right, there are some moving parts there that most likely will re-up and, and keep this core together. But then I think you, ha- I think players will look around and say, look, this team is special. It's going to take a special talent to beat them, not just this year, but next year and maybe even the year after. And, and so I don't know. I, I, I don't have a specific landing spot for him. But I just think there could be a little uh, colluding among some stars this summer if, if the, the series go the way I kind of anticipate they will. 
You know, I, I could see him staying just off the main reason is, you know, he's the, what, the president or the vice president of the Players Association, and he helped negotiate the new CBA and everything that's going into effect, which really makes it, you know, these aging stars more financial incentive to re-sign with their current team. So I think it'd be a little odd for him to negotiate that in and then bold and potentially take less money elsewhere. But uh, if you look at if you're him and you look at this team, it's just it doesn't seem like it's ever going to get better than what they've been so far and you right. know David I know you think maybe this Clippers Jazz series is going to be a little bit closer but I don't necessarily see that being the case and it just seems like they've kind of reached their ceiling and if you're him and you want to win and having covered him down here in New Orleans I know that's a huge priority to him you have to look somewhere else All right let's dig into the series and then we can and the implications of it so the Jazz win last night they take a 3 game to 2 lead uh, I have said the first three games of the series when Gobert was out, the Clippers were the better team. Game four, I'm not sure who was the better team. And the Jazz now without Blake Griffin for the Clippers are probably the better team. Now, does that mean they win the series when Chris Paul is still on the floor? Is not entirely clear. I, I've I've seen every ounce of this one twice uh, and listened to it a third time. So I'm pretty embedded. So I'll let you guys take over and jump in where needed. Jake, what are you seeing in the Jazz Clippers series? I mean, I see the Jazz definitely as the better team. I think this one's kind of swung multiple ways, depending on the injuries, like you said, with Gobert out. And then him coming back, he was tremendous the other night. And inserting him back in and getting significant minutes out of him really took the Clippers out of what they wanted to do. They took away all the passing lanes. And if you looked at the Clippers' numbers, I think Paul had nine assists, and I think there were like six more for the entire team. So it was significantly lower than what you would have expected for him and just disrupted their offense and allowed him to kind of just take a stranglehold. I know the final score was close, but you saw the Jazz missed uh, a huge number of open threes and open looks that would have given them a kind of almost blowout win to this one. The Jazz got 40 uncontested looks in that game, Adam. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with Jake. I, I think that, especially with the Griffin injury, I think the Jazz – I thought the Jazz were the better team going into it, but I think especially now – uh, they're primed to close this thing out in six. And the interesting thing, you know, Gobert went down in the first seconds of, of, of game one. And when a player goes down like that, I, I, I think obviously it puts you at a disadvantage, but the disadvantage really came in games two and three when, when the Clippers could kind of game plan for not having him. I thought the same thing was true of this last game with Griffin where, you know, that first night, maybe you didn't expect him to miss part of the game, so you don't really have a game plan for it. But now the Clippers are just a lot more predictable. They're still tough. I mean, Chris Paul, like you said, they can still spread the floor and run pick and roll with Chris Paul, and that's what he's great at. But I just think it's a little bit easier to game plan for them now. And I, I the, the longer the series were to go on, I think the more Utah would be able to kind of uh, drive a wedge between them and, and get points. So. Yeah, I, I see this as Utah closing it out in Game 6. But it's been a fascinating series with a lot of interesting play. My favorite player in the league, Joe Ingles, has, has had a great series, I thought. And then obviously this Joe Johnson renaissance of, of, of being a closer has just been absolutely fascinating. Maybe the most fascinating part of the first round for me. Well, I don't think you know, any, it's, anyone saw it coming. Right. And, but you know what? Why didn't we? Because I, I know obviously because we have a whole year. We didn't necessarily see this kind of consistent closing from him. But this is what he's best at. I mean, he's such a great isolation, tough shot maker because of his height and his, you know, he's got every move. He's so patient. Um, but what really impressed me in game five was he had those big shots, 
but he also didn't force shots. And, and that's kind of the difference between great clutch players and, and you know, maybe the Carmelos of the world is that some guys, you just know the shot's going up every time. I thought Joe Johnson in the series has done a great job of getting the ball out of his hands when, you know, they've drawn the double team and, and found somebody open. So I, I just thought he's had a brilliant closing quarters of this series. You know, I, I think it's interesting with the – this is kind of, I think, what the Jazz have wanted to see all year. You're finally seeing their depth kind of shine a little bit. They can they absolutely control the defensive glass, and you're seeing the reverse for the Clippers where the depth is hurting them. You know, it, Spates played uh, 13 or so minutes, I think, the other night, and he was minus 10 in that period because they had, uh, you know, Gobert. You don't need to really play him as much during that time, and they could take advantage in this Clippers depth of getting Austin Rivers back into it and coming off that hamstring injury. He played 17, 18 minutes last night, which is probably a little bit too much, and kind of ties back into what we were saying at the top of the show here. Just this, it's, it's Chris Paul trying to pull some people along with him, and it's not really working. Now, that's a great point, and I want to piggyback on it because that's one of the things I've learned most about this season. I think every t- every season you cover the NBA, you learn something new uh, about basketball. And for me, the Nuggets had this problem. They had 12 guys that, that all were kind of on the same level, and that's a headache for a coach for, for, to figure out a healthy rotation and try to keep things consistent. I don't think depth is a problem. I think it's incredibly difficult for a coach to understand how to use the depth and incredibly difficult for players to kind of accept their role. Because like you said, Spates might be incredibly useful in a series. He might not be in this series. And that's something that's that Doc Rivers would have to figure out and that Spates would have to kind of be all right with. And that's a very tough balance that not very many teams do. But one team that we'll get to very soon, the Spurs, I think have managed that perfectly. And they're playing lineups that they haven't played you know, all season and finding success with them. But so I don't think that depth is a problem. I just think it's so tricky to to know how to balance it from a coach and player perspective. I think there has to be somewhat of a rightful order, if that makes Pecking sense. Order. You can have all this depth, but it's got to be pretty clear that one guy is ahead of the other guy in that depth. Um, yeah. And I think when you specifically talk about the Nuggets, that, that was just not clear, right, at all. Um, and, For sure. to, and, and as the year went on, maybe it got more clear. But in, in regards to the Jazz, I mean, it's not, but it's, let's not, I don't think, you know, Derek Favors, I'm sure, is pleased that the Jazz won last night. I'm not sure Derek Favors is pleased with 11 minutes last night. Right. Right? Like, uh, he, he doesn't say anything to me. And as the radio voice of the team, I probably have to be pretty careful making a comment like that. But I've I, I been around competitors my whole life. They like to win, but he, I don't think he went home real pleased with 11 minutes last night. No, I mean, there's a reason NBA players want to be out there for the starting tip-off, even if they're going to get 36 minutes a game. I think, like you said, they, they want to have their kind of role established, know who they are, and fit right into it. it makes and this is where, when you've had some sustained success, maybe it's a little bit easier, but the Jazz are kind of a startup. I mean, they're, they're a team that's been climbing the ladder for four seasons now, so that's a little bit tough to, now that you're in it, all of a sudden you're on the bench play, you know, getting 11 minutes, so that's... You're right. There's a lot of complicated layers here. What? Let's go back. To, let's dig back into this series for a moment. Where is the scenario in which the Clippers pull this thing off? What? What is it? Is Austin Rivers healthier? What are the things you see that change this series back in favor of the Clippers? Or without Blake, is that do you not see that there? 
I think it's going to be Chris Paul almost single-handedly willing this team to kind of a victory. I saw way back in 2010 when he was here in New Orleans, he put up a triple-double against the Lakers in the first round. Uh, I think it was game five or something like that to extend the series and keep it going. So we know what he's capable of. But again, it, he needs some help from his teammates. Jamal Crawford can't get four points. You need their bench to come out firing and hit their shots uh, and to be significant contributors. Austin Rivers needs to get that you know defense out there uh, and hitting a couple of his shots but it's really going to center around Chris Paul and if he can make his teammates better if they're not turning the ball over I think they can send this to a game seven this series is close enough that there's, there's still a lot of wiggle room for anything to happen even though I think if both teams play their best ball given the players that are healthy that Utah wins but as we saw, you mentioned the missed shots, the missed open attempts that the, that the Jazz were able to get. You know, you have another game like that, and then, as Jake mentioned, Chris Paul, as great as he was last night, I mean, he has he, – he can be six or seven points better, and then you're talking about a completely different game. So I think it takes a combination of Utah maybe playing at 80% their, their – you know, w- what they're capable of, and then Chris Paul just taking it to another gear, which – by the way, he's just been so phenomenal, even in this series, with as great as, as Utah is at, at guarding the pick and roll, he's still been uh, quite a wizard. So uh, so I agree with Jake. I think it comes down to Chris Paul, but if both teams play best, Utah wins. Chris Paul's been masterful at bringing, almost like a fisherman, you know, reeling the games back in. And what, yeah. I, what I've noticed is I think he's had to spend a lot of juice reeling games back in. So if you go to game three, the first crowd's going crazy, game first quarter, Jazz have the lead, he suddenly takes over and reels it back in. Second quarter, he has to do the same thing. Third, he wins the game. In fourth, he wins the game. Same thing happened in game four, but when he got to the fourth quarter, without Blake... Like it's just a lot to ask, and I thought the same thing was prevalent again last night. He he reeled the game back in early in the fourth. He reeled it in in the in the second, um, and those possessions take a lot out of him. There's an interesting note that I have uh, have uh, in my prep, which is let me see if I can find it. And this is not. Uh, I apologize. I haven't updated it yet. I don't actually apologize for that. I take that back. I don't apologize at all. <laughs> uh, I got in at four o'clock in the morning, and it's 10, eleven o'clock, and I went to bed seven oh, yeah. at seven hours ago when I didn't actually sleep the whole time. So I haven't updated my notes. But going into the game last night, I thought this was really interesting about Chris Paul. In 65 minutes trailing, okay? So when he's trailing, he's taken a shot, 38 shots in 65 minutes. When he's leading, he's taken 32 shots in 70 minutes. Right. Now what's incredible is he's shooting 58% in those shots when trailing. But which is, you know, just mind-blowing. But it means that every time they're falling behind, he's the one willing them back into the game. And I just wonder, I mean, he's got two days rest, so maybe he'll be fine. I just wonder how many times he can do that, and they're just, they're, he doesn't have a lot of help right now. No, and that can get you in trouble, as we saw last night in the Rockets-Houston, or in the Houston and um, OKC game, where you might just be tired by the fourth quarter. For it. So if it's close game and you're hitting crunch time in five minutes or less, you know, that's where he might kind of falter down the stretch a little bit. I think he's had, because he, I've been watching his clips in, in particular, going back and kind of going slow through him. There's only a handful of players where I have to watch the play more than two or three times. And he's one of, I mean, LeBron is the king of this, where 
the more I watch a, a single play that LeBron makes, the more I see all the different layers to it. I think Chris Paul in the pick and roll has just been so perfectly timed, so perfectly positioned, and, and just done so many incredible things. And I, I fear that this is going to be one of those series that kind of gets forgotten for him, like so many, because they're going I, they're going to lose. But I, he's just been so incredible that, I mean, you really could do an hour's worth of breakdown on just the great plays he's made in this series. You could also do a breakdown of Matt cheap shots he's thrown, but <laughs> he's, he it's incredible how it's incredible to ca- calling a series of him and um, John Stockton esque. Would you say? Uh, yeah, I David? mean, I'd have to go back and watch Stockton in the first three minutes of Gobert's return. He tripped him. <laughs> he r- took an elbow just straight to his chest in a pick. And then this one's a little questionable of whether he really did this or not. It's hard to tell. But I thought he went into a pick consciously low. I mean, he's got a history of that, so it doesn't surprise me necessarily. Right? I mean, that's – I mean, you know, it is what it is. It's it's – frankly, it's disappointing, right? Mm. Because as a guy who's watching him who loves the game right now, he's so incredible. Like, why are you doing these other things? And frankly, he got away with a technical foul that would have cost himself, cost his team the game, any chance to win the game the other night. That that was bizarre. That was very reminiscent of the Oklahoma City series, right? When he comes, remember he comes unglued, the end of that Oklahoma City series. Let, let, I, I don't know how he escaped the technical on that play because it was so obvious. I know both guys are kind of doing the chippy thing and holding onto the ball or whatever, but he just after the fact is when he shoved him. That seems to me like such a clear technical. Um, that was a bizarre one not to call, I thought. Yeah, I agree. All right, and I'm a homer, so, you know, it's not, I'm not, you know, in his, in his words, I'm a homer, uh, which I think he meant as a compliment. Um, and I, you know, I'm not gonna, I, I don't hide, I mean, I'm not like, it's so funny, I'm not even trying to like, I'm not trying to pretend for one second, people, that I'm viewing this game from any other lens of wanting of to, um, wanting to get here. a week in San Francisco. Don't misunderstand me. Um, all right, let's, uh, let me, I, I do think, and I don't want to just sit on this series only, but I, I find the Clippers the most fascinating team in the playoffs, even before the Jazz played them. What do you, what is your viewpoint on do they hold this thing together? Um, and, it, and it's particularly, frankly, interesting for me coming from a Jazz perspective where Chris Paul and John Stockton's careers at this moment in time are somewhat parallel. If 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 the Clippers lose this series, it will be Chris Paul's fifth first-round loss in nine years. John Stockton had five and ten, I think. Um John Stockton went to two East Western Conference Finals in that time period, which may be the only, may be a, a significant difference. But what, what's your feeling on whether the Clippers? I don't, I don't know what choices they have. Frankly, I would think that the Clippers should have to resign everyone because otherwise they're terrible. That's that's kind of the thing. They don't really have another option. You also have an owner who just bought the team for you know like what two billion, I think it was, and I doubt he's really going to be excited to go through a rebuild when he probably feels they're pretty close. So they're, I would assume they're going to try and run everyone back and you know sign Chris Paul to that you know max deal they can give him of like two hundred million dollars, and you know their future is basically this. And then if Chris Paul does decide to up and leave and go somewhere else, I mean they're going to be pretty bad for which should be a, a significant period of time. I, th- I I find this team a little less interesting, I think, than you do. Uh, and and part of it is I think the, the duo of DeAndre Jordan and Chris Paul is a great duo, a great pick-and-roll duo. I never liked Blake Griffin a, a, as a – I know he's a terrific player, 
But I just thought that that team would be a little bit better. I think there was talk a year and a half ago about a Danilo Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, and and maybe Will Barton trade for Blake Griffin. And Danilo Gallinari even came out and said that the Nuggets presented that to him basically as a, hey, we'll do this if you want. If you don't, we won't. And, and Gallo said no. I think the team is so much better with those types of players, really tall wings that can defend and but can space the floor around the Chris Paul pick and roll. Uh, rather than Blake Griffin, and and that's the only scenario I could see them trying to, ma- you know, maybe make some moves. Now Blake Griffin's a free agent. Danilo Gallinari is. I know Gallo will only play in a few cities, and L.A. is one of them. So trying to to retool without Blake, but around maybe some more balanced talent and, and longer wings. To to me, that's the only interesting move that they can make with this core. If they do try to just bring back Blake Griffin, I just think there's a ceiling to that team, and that ceiling is a four or five game series against the Warriors where they lose in embarrassing fashion uh, and and maybe a couple other teams that can beat them you know obviously like Utah or somebody, somebody like that that can beat them every year as well so uh, so I find this team a little bit less interesting as presently constructed and I see fewer opportunities for them to improve in the short term well especially if they let Blake go because I believe they're over the soft cap by a, a good bit so they're not even going to have that kind right. of cap room to spend so it's almost you have to re-sign him just to keep talent on the team because you're not going to be able to bring back that kind of equal level of talent unless you explore some sort of tr- uh sign and trade scenario. All right. I think Blake Griffin's still great. I think I might be the only person no, he's he's very good, but it's just I don't know if he fits there, and it almost seems like a situation where he's worn out as welcome. No, but I, I don't disagree with you at all, Jake. I think you. I mean, you. I'm not sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think he fits there. I think somebody else goes yeah. and gets him and gives him the ball. Right. Like I'm giving him if I if I'm signing Blake Griffin. I'm giving him the ball. Like the play the Jazz couldn't guard in the series that the Clippers didn't run enough because Chris Paul has the ball in his hands all the time is the four or five pick and roll. Right. They had no, right. they had no chance, and uh, maybe they would have had a chance if Rudy was there. But I, I, the, you go look at those twenty game periods of time when Chris Paul's been out and Blake Griffin has just grabbed rebounds and gone. I've had coaches in the league tell me like it's not guardable. Like, right? I'm preparing for a game and I have no idea how to guard that. This playmaking power forward thing is is kind of taking off in like the James Johnson role obviously Draymond Green where you can get him on a pick and roll early and then give him the ball and then he's kind of running downhill that's what Blake Griffin's so great at or one of the things he's so great at is attacking a defense four on three uh you know with the ball in his hands but I just don't think there's enough opportunities in the Clippers and I guess we're kind of all in agreement on on that 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 the, the right team will probably be able to spread the floor for him to run those types of actions but yeah, that's that's just why I find this team a little bit less interesting because I I just don't see I think it's going to become a lot more stale every year. All right, let's go to the we'll look at the uh, Rockets recap Thunder in a second. Look at Warriors. Uh, let's look at the the series between uh, the Spurs and the Grizzlies. Popovich stays perfect in Game Fives last night. Uh, what what are you guys seeing in this? What's jumping out to you in this series? And do you think it ended last night, or do you think Memphis has? another chance to make you know to push them to the point to the limit i'm a hundred percent of the belief that memphis is is not only capable but i think they probably will win game six it'll be a dogfight just like all of these have been i think the series is incredibly evenly matched uh last night the spurs won with a lineup of tony parker patty mills Kawhi leonard david lee and lamarcus aldridge that is a bizarre lineup that is 
it's kind of a, a swing for the fence type lineup because you're playing two undersized point guards. You're playing David Lee. There's opportunity to hemorrhage points there. And in fact, they did. The only difference was they scored every single time down court for the last five minutes, or at least that's what it felt like. Um, and, and so I think, I think both teams kind of have those type of Hail Mary situations in them. And that lineup is just as likely to score on one out of every five possessions and give up points every time as they are to do what they did last night, which is have Patty Mills hit, I don't know, four three-pointers or five three-pointers in the fourth quarter. So I think this series is very evenly matched, and it'll be whichever team has their role players making shots like that that'll win the games. I think that'll be Memphis in Game 6. You know, I think Memphis will probably take this one at home in Game 6. We've seen Fizdale can really kind of get them fired up and ready to defend their home court, especially after his you know, now infamous rant uh, with everything. This has been a weird series to me because you would have expected some uh, stout defense, and that really hasn't been what we've seen. Uh, both teams aren't really being forced to turn the ball over or anything like that. They're both posting high offensive ratings and poor defensive ratings, and I think the Spurs were the top defense all season long. Memphis was ranked 7. So all the offense that's kind of happening has been a bit surprising to me. Um, and especially because you've got Kawhi being used to guard Conley, who's been absolutely tremendous, uh, and he's been tremendous offensively too, but just more points scored than I would have expected going into this one. I think as, as much as both teams are great defensively, they do have weaknesses that both the other team can exploit. And, and part of that is Tony Parker, such obviously such a great player, and Patty Mills as well. But Conley, that's a matchup that favors Conley, and that's part of why he's been, in my opinion, so effective. So, And, and then Kawhi, obviously, has just taken his game to other levels. So I, I think you're right that both these teams are great defensively, and if they were playing other teams, they probably would, would look even better defensively, but they've just been able to exploit the weaknesses. It's, the Clippers are so interesting because... Excuse me, not the Clippers. The Spurs are so interesting <laughs> because... Well, they are. Clippers are... They're, they are, they're so brilliant, right? They're just, they're so, and yet, I think we all think they're flawed and are not willing to go there because of Pop, because Kawhi is just amazing and maybe covers it all up. But I think we all look at them and think, wow, that, like, Tony's not Tony anymore. And David, right. like, David Lee, like, Dwayne Dead, like, <laughs> like, like, really? But I think. Davis like, Bertans getting meaningful right. minutes. Right. I right. mean, David Lee started, and it was a pretty good move by Popovich, and this is why he's the best coach in the league, because he realized he needed to go a little bit taller against this team, and it ended up working out for him. It's like what you were saying, Adam, in the, in the beginning of the show here, where he's running these really unconventional lineups at times and different combinations that we're not used to seeing, and it's really working for him. Right. I, and I think it's it's working on like a razor's edge. That, that's what I think, at least. That there these things have such a tiny margin for error. And part of what was so fun to watch in this last game, Game Five, the Spurs' execution was just perfect. They ran a couple. There was one play, a David Lee pass. It was the backdoor cut that Kawhi made uh, on a on a, a set play where he basically threw a blind pass. He threw the pass before Kawhi made the, the plant to backdoor, and it's just one of those things that if you're off by a hair, the play doesn't work. He threw the blind pass, and it ends up being a Kawhi Leonard wide-open layup, and the Spurs just kind of do that, and they've been doing that in, in the games they've won in clutch time. They've just executed so perfectly that, I, I mean, if you're Memphis, you almost just have to tip your hat because of how 
uh, how much of a razor's edge everything was balancing on. The here's the be- I was talking to GM the other day. This was the best comment he made um, about the Spurs. I said, "Is there a chance they lose the series?" Because I'd be stunned if they lose the series. And then he started talking about the series, and it was clear by the end he wouldn't be stunned. Right. Is that right? Do, you, do we kind of all agree with that? Is that how we yeah. feel? That yeah, is I mean, Popovich factor. Right. I like you feel just confident because you trust their coach and like you said, the Popovich factor, you trust them. Like I think, you know, they'll probably lose this game six, but then win by ten plus points at home in uh game uh seven. I'd be surprised if they lose game six. It'll be close. I I also favor Memphis, but again, they they play at such a slow pace that I think every game is going to be close. I don't think any of these games is going to be a runaway. Um, So I'm with you that I think it's probably more like 65-35 Memphis, maybe 60-40 Memphis, but it definitely wouldn't surprise me if San Antonio came out and won. All right, let's go. Uh, What did we see from Houston, Oklahoma City? (laughs) <laughs> a lot. There's a lot to take away from this one. The biggest thing that jumps out to me in this was this whole series, Houston didn't play particularly well. The three-point shot is such a big part of their offense, that drive and kick game with Harden. And of all the teams in the playoffs, they've had the worst three-point shooting percentage in the first round, only shooting 28.4% from there. They still managed to win in five games. And they're kind of playing suboptimal form right now that if they get some help from guys like Trevor Ariza and Ryan Anderson, who were pretty bad in this series, uh, shooting under 40% from both of those guys, they could be pretty scary uh, in the second round. I, I thought this was this was my least favorite series. Um, the Warriors-Blazers one was pretty, pretty non-interesting as well. But this one just didn't interest me because I've always thought I, that Oklahoma City was this horribly flawed team that is incredibly easy to stop in a playoff series. And I think there's a little bit of that to Houston, not nearly as much, but a little bit. But watching this game, it unfolded exactly the way, or the series it unfolded exactly the way I would have predicted, which was the Thunder in fourth quarters are so predictable that they really have to rely so much on their defense uh, to win games, and they're just they're just not capable of doing that. It's the comment you made to start that is the biggest bummer because for the last two months, all I wanted was Oklahoma City, Houston, <laughs> right? Like when we were That's looking, everyone, yeah. right? And then it just. It's like the prom date that's just maybe too hot to be a good time, right? Like, <laughs> just, she's so hot, and it's all perfect, and then, you know, you just need, there just wasn't the substance behind it. I don't know why, whether it's Oklahoma City's lack of depth or Russell's just overdoing the game to a point that makes all of us uncomfortable, and we don't know how to analyze it and look at it, or maybe Harden's ankle made it so he just wasn't quite as fabulous, um, all of these things, for sure, uh, factored into it. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. It's just it's not exactly a fun style of basketball to watch in a vacuum, watching Harden play like he does and get into the rim and seeing Russ hit that extra gear and just driving is a lot of fun to watch in the athleticism. And then you watch it play out over five games and the foul calls and the slowing down and everything. It's like, this isn't really that great. And I think Roberson takes away some of the excitement of watching Harden because he is such a good defender for him. Um, so you, you kind of take away a little bit of the excitement there. And then 
I mean, with Russell Westbrook, he's amazing. I'm glad Russell Westbrook is in the league. He's one of my favorite players to watch. I just have no faith in that style of basketball succeeding, especially in this era of NBA where it's so not easy to game plan. He still put up incredible numbers. But it's like Patrick Beverly said. He did exactly what, what, what they wanted him to do. They, they made him work really hard for shots. They knew he was going to take a ton, and they kept him at that threshold where, of efficiency where they, they can deal with it. And for me, the series was kind of predictable in that way, and that took off a lot of the edge for me. I mean, you could see it just unfolding exactly how it did. It was going to be Westbrook carrying this team for as many games as possible, and then right at the end, he just ran out of gas. He was 2 for 11 in the fourth quarter, Last night, he only took four shots at the rim. That's where he made his two. He missed five shots from three, and everything was front iron. He was gassed and just showed. doesn't really have the teammates to go forward and make a deep playoff run here or even win multiple games in the first round. And it's just unfortunate, you know, all of a sudden Durant leaves, and there wasn't much this team could really do to uh, other than just give Westbrook the ball the entire time. He also becomes a lot more predictable in the fourth quarter. If you look at it, he averaged 30 attempts per game in the playoffs. He averaged 10 in the fourth quarter. And I, I, th- I just think he becomes a lot more narrow, narrowly focused. He still makes a lot of passes and does a lot of great things. But you can just tell, at least I feel like, I can tell when he's about to take a contested shot. And if you can just funnel him into a double team or funnel him into the spot of the court you want, you know where his mindset is. And, that, and I thought that all, all season long, and I especially thought that in this series. Can you win with a ball-dominant point guard? I don't think you can with that style of dominant point guard like Russell Westbrook. How about, you had one, how about like Chris Paul? Curry, if, I think with Chris Paul you can. Chris Paul makes the right decisions first, second, third, and fourth quarter, in my opinion. Uh, it does take the right kind of people around him, and I do think he could benefit from having a, a, a secondary ball handle. The thing I always think about is this, the team banana boat, right, or, or even just the LeBron – uh, Chris Paul dynamic because neither one of them like to give the ball up and I think it would actually work in that setting because I do think uh, I, I do think there are circumstances where that two-man game would work and, and and he would get the ball out of his hands a little bit more than he has in his career but what team has he played on where it would really benefit from him being less involved I'm not sure that he's ever been on a team like that yeah, that's an interesting point. I think you could win with a Chris Paul type of point guard. Also, and I don't want to go like super hot take style here, you know, but he makes his teammates better. He knows where to get them the ball in their favorite spots and everything like that. And I don't know if you can say the same with Russell Westbrook, but Westbrook's volume is also so much higher than even like the normal type of ball dominant point guard you'd expect and think about that it almost is just him playing you know one on five at times it feels like whereas with Chris Paul you're very conscious that the teammates are there and around him Westbrook doesn't make the right play all the time but even when he makes the wrong play he can make it work a lot and that's a cool recipe for putting up great stats and being an incredibly fun player to watch like I said I don't have any problems with Russ I'm glad he's in the league he makes it more interesting but I, I just don't think you can win with that style because at some point teams will be able to game plan for you making your bad, predictably bad decisions and, and the efficiency will drop enough to be able to beat you. All right. Did we, we saw, I mean, the awesomeness of the first quarter of game four is all we need to talk about and about the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
Portland was never going to win that series, but it's a shame that Nurkic couldn't really play more. I think that would have maybe helped them. I don't think that, you know, they weren't going to take it to game six or anything like that, but they were forced to go very small, and that just feeds right into what the Warriors want you to do, even without Durant. And at that point, it was just like, this one's over. I, here's my hottest take, because I'm with you that it wouldn't have mattered. I think Golden State wins the series even if everybody's healthy nine, 95 times out of 100. But I do think Nurkic and, and like Von Lee, these guys, these guys can punish you on the, on the glass as well as just about anyone, and we know that that's the number one weakness. I, I would have just, for, for Golden State, so I actually would have loved to have seen it. Nurkic is the one guy Draymond can guard one through five, and I think he can guard him in the post. Where he can't guard him is on offensive rebounds because Nurkic is maybe the second or third hardest player in the NBA to move off the block. He's like Nene or Steven Adams. These guys are – once they plant themselves, you can't move them. I would have loved to have seen it because I do think it would have right. forced – Can I – come on. Different things. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Stop. They would, what I'm saying is it would have forced them right. to do – Right, just do other things things. better than yeah. anyone else. Like, I got what you're saying, but let's 90, stop. 95 out of 100. <laughs> 95 out of 100. That's, what I, that, that's where I'm at. I've said this about the Warriors all year long, that to be able to push them – I didn't say beat them. To be able to push them, you, had to have, you have to have three components to who you are, okay? One is you have to have multiple ball-handling wings so they can't hide Steph Curry. Right. Two, you have to have defensive rim protection because what people don't talk enough about the Warriors, and frankly, this is not my talk. This is coaches have told me this, is that they get so many easy looks at the rim. All the highlights are the threes, but where they actually beat you is the amount of easy looks they get on all their cuts and all their action at the rim and in their out of their half-court sets. And if you can eliminate that... You have a chance. Not you're going to win. You have a chance because then maybe the other shots don't go and they're just not as free flowing. And the third so you're just one, just hoping they get cold, right? Yeah, basically. I mean, it's a make or miss league, and you hope that they miss for yeah. a night. Not they're not going to do it four out of seven. But um, and the third one is that you have to have just enough offensive rebounding that you make them pay for their lack of size. So those are the three components. I don't know that anyone has it. Um, Cleveland was pretty darn close last year with, with all three of those. Maybe not the great rim protection, but they did cut off with their switching defense. They did cut off the ability to get those easy baskets, and so then it did become dependent on shots. Um, and they did pound them on the offensive glass with Tristan Thompson, so they still probably have it. Um, I actually do think Utah comes. They're not good enough, but they have that. They have that. Um, equation with Hood, Hill, Hayward, Joe Johnson as wing creators. They have Rudy Gobert in the middle, and they, they're not a great offensive rebounding team anymore, but if they wanted to, they might be able to. Here's, here's a cool stat for you, because I think you're right. It's less interesting talking maybe just about the series, but more about what, what cracks maybe there are in Golden State's armor. And I, I said at the start of the show, I would be shocked if anybody takes them past five games. I think this Golden State team is better than last year's team, and I thought last year's team was the best team in the league that just ran into some tough circumstances. But you look at if there's a little bit of like cracks that you can kind of squint and see. Golden State plays on average 13 seconds per possession. The next closest was Washington at 14, and everybody else is basically within a second. So what that means is that Golden State really relies on early shots in the shot clock. They don't necessarily rely on them, but that's where they they make their bread and butter after. After a missed shot and going the other way, meaning not against a set defense, 
They are by far the best team at, at scoring, basically, in transition. If you make it a half-court game in possessions after a, a, a made shot, Cleveland is actually by far the best on offense. And part of that is Cleveland slows the game down. That's what they like to do. They like to make it a half-court game. And Cleveland, at least offensively, is even better than Golden State. They're in the regular season and in the playoffs so far. Better than Golden State at scoring in the half court. They had a 121 offensive rating in plays following a made shot, uh, whereas Golden State was at 115 in, in the, that first round series. So again, I'm not I'm playing devil's advocate here because I think Golden State maybe loses two total games in the playoffs. But if there is a crack in the armor, it's if it's that teams can slow them down, and we know that Golden State kind of loses their rhythm when you can take away some of those easy. Uh, you know, three passes and four seconds in transition opportunities that they seem to get so many of every game. Can you give a shout out to that site? It, that's stats.impredictable.com. It's one of my favorite sites. Lesser known. It's great. That's why I wanted the shout out. Jake, your thoughts on the Warriors' invincibility as we talk about impre- impredictability? You know, I, I think they're pretty invincible. I, that's who I think is going to win it all. I mean, yeah, if you, you can try and beat them if you make it a half-court game. The problem is that's very hard to do against them. So I know, Adam, that's why it was like a devil's advocate type thing here because right. it's still really hard to do. And it, again, relies on them going cold, which we've seen stretches where Curry's missing shots, where Clay Thompson's missing shots. The problem is they just have so much talent top to bottom. If one guy's missing shots, you can – get make up for it in other spots and I think that's the big issue there and I mean you know I, w- I wanted to laugh and you're like yeah they're better than last year it's like yeah they added Kevin Durant so you would expect, <laughs> you'd ex- expect him to be so again it's just they were so good last year they added this other guy they've been good all year you know they were still figuring it out and you know maybe the the thing if you're an opponent you got to hope that the coaching situation with Kerr and Mike Brown stepping in maybe causes some issues but it seems like that staff is all on the same page they're all very open about ideas and talking about different things that I don't even think that's going to you know really be any sort of blip for them uh, in this playoff. That's run. a big issue. Yeah. That's a big issue. You think so? Yep. I don't think it's enough to derail them, but it's an enormous issue. I just I've got a, from an insi- got a- from inside an NBA team and I don't know how they run their team, but from someone who's embedded inside an NBA team goes to every practice, sees how things work, um, it's it's a it's a mammoth issue. Mammoth. No, I mean, it's interesting because they did so well when you had Luke Walton there two years ago taken over. So that's the perspective I'm coming in. I don't have the same as you. So it's interesting to hear that and something I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on, you know, the rest of these uh, playoff series. The the question for the coaching thing will be, because with Luke Walton, I think they went like 40 and two or something. I mean, everything was, was sunshine and rainbows. The question will be, what happens if they get down two games to one in a series and not everybody on the team agrees with the adjustment that Mike Brown has made or the in, in, in-game decision that he's made. That's when, that's when little issues become big issues and, and maybe you start to see a snowball effect. Again, I think Golden State's good enough that it's probably never even going to come to that. But those are the types of things where I think it can matter. And then I'll just bring this up. This is kind of, I guess, a, a dark way to bring it up. But I have a gambling buddy who gambles on the NBA. And he bet against Golden State last year and he bet against him this year for one reason. He said they have two players that they really rely on that are injury-prone in Kevin Durant and, and Steph Curry. And I'm not saying these guys will get injured or anything like that, but it's always a little bit more likely with them than it is maybe with some of your other superstar talents. 
because just because of their injury history and kind of their frame and also the way that teams get more physical with them. We know that's what Cleveland did in the, the finals last year. They they purposely tried to rough up Steph Curry, and I think more and more teams will continue to try to do that, and they're going to have to survive three more rounds of that, basically. If the Warriors were to get challenged, and Clippers, Utah, Houston, San Antonio, who challenges them most? Wait, did I say that right? If the Warriors, get, yeah, I said that right, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. If the Warriors get, like, the whole concept was so far to um, understand that if the Warriors get challenged, who challenges them the most? I kind of like Utah, and I, obviously I like Cleveland in the finals, but I've always thought Utah was an interesting matchup for them. They just have the defenders. Uh, and, and rebounders and, and, and some of the versatility uh, that I think they can at least make it a little bit interesting and there's things they can do. I also think Quinn Snyder's a, a, a terrific coach. You know, I'm, go ahead. I'm going to go a bit different here and say actually Houston, like I said, I didn't think they played particularly well in this series against the Oklahoma City Thunder. So if they can get a little bit better and maybe regress to the mean a little bit when it comes to the three-point shooting. You know, you can at least keep up in that aspect. And they did have Nene and Capella play quite well uh, for various stretches this series against Oklahoma City, which gives them enough size, I think, to maybe compete. Again, I don't think anyone's really going to beat them, but I think it's Houston that might give them the toughest road. I'm going to build off something that Adam brought up here. in From 18 to 22 on the shot clock, which is – 23-24 is an offensive rebound put back. It's almost impossible. The Warriors' effective field goal percentage is 63.5. They're better than anyone else in the league. From 15 to 18 on the shot clock, their effective field goal percentage is 59% in the league. They're better than anyone else in the league. From 7 to 15, their effective field goal percentage is 55%. They're better than anyone in the league. Get under 7 seconds. Right. Now, all of a sudden, they're 15th in the league from 4 to 7 seconds. And from zero to four, they're actually pretty good. No one's great. But here's what gets interesting with Utah, and I just know Utah. Utah plays an insane amount, 23% of their possessions, in the final seven seconds of the shot clock. The Warriors play 12%. That matchup is as contrasting stylistically as they get. And in those final seven seconds, the Jazz are about as good as the Warriors shooting. Not quite, but close, like a percentage point here and there. Um, And so I don't think the Jazz can get them into that game, but that's an incredible – the Jazz are the number one team in the NBA of possessions in the final seven seconds of the shot clock, and the Warriors are number 30. The stat I would be interested in looking – because that's a phenomenal stat, and that's kind of, again, matching some of the stuff I was talking about with Cleveland because I think Cleveland, as much as – as their defense is horrible all around, we've known for two finals now that LeBron can slow the game down unlike anyone. You can't pressure him and get the ball out. He he manages it well, and then he can just slow the game down. But Utah does this naturally. And the thing I'd be curious about most is not just – those numbers are in aggregate, right? So they might have five possessions under seven seconds one game and three the next or whatever. I'd be curious to know what happens in games where they're shooting – higher percentages of shots under seven, uh, under seven seconds, meaning teams that have successfully made them play a half-court game for an entire game or for a, a majority of the game. Because my hunch is that these things actually become compounded because, like I said, there's a comfort factor in kind of playing fast and getting quick shots and, and, and playing that kind of fast-break style. And if you take that away for an entire quarter or an entire half, 
I think I would imagine those half court numbers get even worse for Golden State just because they they fall out of rhythm. That's what I think happened in last year's finals. As much as it was so close, they fell out of rhythm for whole quarters and halves at a time to where it really became a grind and their offense looked regular instead of otherworldly. Jake, have you fallen asleep? No, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I got, I was staring at the NBA stats page looking at some of the numbers. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, and I'm pulling up, I think probably some of the same things you did in what was it during the regular season? Golden State's taken in that seven to four late shot clock range. They're taking basically eight percent of their shots from there. The problem is just absolutely slowing the game down enough in the half court to get them to do that, which, you know, we can talk about it, but you still got to find practical ways to do it. Maybe Utah can do that. They certainly have the right combination of players to kind of get them there. I still think it's just going to be so hard. And when it comes to the playoffs, one of the things I'm always interested to see, and I watched it during the regular season, was, you know, particularly with the Pelicans, are they imposing their style of basketball on the game, or are they reacting to the other team? And with Golden State, it's so hard to kind of impose your will on them and not play the style they want to do. And, you know, just overall, top to bottom in the playoffs here, I don't think anyone's really going to be able to do that. All right, we're, we, we're going to go 30 minutes. We've gone longer, but I am now have access to information and have we are okay welcome by the way to everybody to locked on nba three guys sitting around looking at stats together and um <laughs> probably making you drive off the road in boredom but here is the answer to your question adam because only because i have access to programs that let me do this oh wow so in the let's th- walk through the warriors slowest pace of play game so the warriors average on the season 103 possessions a game so should we look at anything that's under what 97 so they're yeah, five man. below their regular five percent so that gets to be so against dallas early in the year they played a 93 their offensive rating was 124 <laughs> so that didn't seem to bother well, that's- that didn't against Boston they played a 97 they were a 107 okay that's not great right that's well below there yep against Minnesota they were a 97 for 121 against Did they lose that game though um uh, I don't have come on why would I have something like that that's not that important um <laughs> no the game let's see um in that game, they did not win because I have their I have Minnesota's defensive rating. Or their defensive rating was 107, so they certainly didn't win that lose that game. Uh, then they were at Minnesota. They may have lost this game, 97, and they were still at 116. Uh, they then didn't have to play a slow game for about 30 to 40 games. No one slowed them down. They played the Sacramento Kings and lost at night, and their offense was 97.6. So there's your there's your theory, right? There's it. Then they played the Knicks, who kept them to 96. So their offensive rating was 117 that night. Boston got them slow again at 95, and their offensive rating was 91. San Antonio wow. slowed them down to 97. Their offensive rating was 88. But I think that's the game where they rested everybody. Uh-huh. Um, Milwaukee slowed them down to 92. Their offensive rating was 128. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Though that Milwaukee game. Milwaukee is terrible against passing teams. Yes. Yes, that's true. Uh, Dallas slowed them down again. They went to 115. Memphis slowed them down. They went to 120. San Antonio slowed them down again. They went to 116. (laughs) (laughs) The Jazz slowed them down to 94. They went to 107. They lost that game. Um, so I think the, that's because they've only lost a handful of games this year and you just named about six of those losses. So, 
even though, I mean, obviously they won more than they lost, but they won more than they lost in every situation. So I actually see, see, re- listen to those numbers and I hear some, I, I hear a little bit of a trend. Good defenses that slow them down can handle them. Dallas slowing them down can't, but Dallas doesn't matter what they do. They're not going to win. So I actually see a little bit of, of a promising sign there. All right. We'll leave on that geekdom. Jake, you had one more thing I think you wanted to add. I don't want to leave you without that. Oh, no, I was good. That, that was good. I'm, I'm like, I like spending my Wednesdays diving into NBA stats. I'm excited about this now. <laughs> that, he's Jake Madison. Lockdown Pelicans is a fabulous show. He does the whole league. Uh, great numerical look at things as well as the Pelicans. Adam Matas is the Locked On Nuggets host. He does fabulous work as well. Both these guys you can see are pretty similar in that sense. The Locked On Podcast Network has great angles on all these show on all these big news stories. Make sure you grab them. You can also read Adam at Denver Stiffs and Vice Sports Jake on Bourbon Street uh, on the Pelicans blog. Guys, thanks very much. Thanks for a very very long extended show today. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much to Adam and Jake. Remember, dollarshaveclub.com is our sponsor today, slash L-O-C-K-N-B-A. You get the first month executive razor with a tube of Dr. Carver's Shave Butter for only $5 with free shipping, no hidden fees, and no commitments. You can cancel any time. Make sure you do it. dollarshaveclub.com slash lock, L-O-C-K-N-B-A. And for you get the first month executive razor with tube of their Dr. Carver's Shave Butter for only $5 with free shipping. Plus, SeatGeek, promo code LOCK to get you $20 back. And we always want to thank our other sponsors. Make sure you support them. WarbyParker.com slash LOCK gives you the five glasses. Try on for free. That's available to you as well. Indochino, promo code LOCKED, has been a great supporter of us. And Blue Apron, we're a Blue Apron family now, loving it. Three meals for free with the promo code L-O-C-K-N-B-A. This has been the Locked On NBA Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.